Last week, we started a brand new sermon series on discipleship. And we talked about an overarching view of what discipleship is, that, that it's not a program that we do at a church. It's not a first step and second step. It's not a programmatic thing, but it's a journey that we're on for, our, for, the, for the duration of our lives when we give our life to Christ. It's a journey to become more like Him. And not only are we all called to be on this journey as growing in our discipleship with God, but we are also called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples who make disciples, and the cycle continues on making disciples in this world. It's not a programmatic thing, but we use this illustration of four chairs to signify the different pieces of this discipleship journey. Kind of like a four-by-four relay race. There's different legs of this race, of this journey in our lives of discipleship. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is focusing here on chair number one. And chair number one signifies the peace of our lives and our relationship with God when we don't have a relationship with Jesus. We've all been there, right? We've all been there before we came to know Christ. Maggie was there just a over a week ago, and then she was baptized, and she moved to the second chair here, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. And and she started, though we all start in this first chair. Now, the hard thing that we first have to realize about the first chair is that some of us have gone back to it. When we give our lives to Christ, when we go to the second chair here, sometimes we end up going back to the first chair, and we don't even realize we did it. In fact, there are people who say they're Christians who are still in the first chair and don't have a relationship with Jesus. Some people might even call this their home church and don't have a relationship with Jesus. Some people might be regular attenders and here on a regular basis, however you want to define that, and may still be in the first chair and not have a relationship with Jesus. And the hardest thing for us to do is to look at the man in the mirror and have a gut-wrenching, honest conversation to ask the hard question of, am I in the first chair? If you are in the first chair, it's okay. The invitation is simple. The invitation to people in the first chair is a simple invitation to come and see. In John chapter 4, as Jesus is traveling, he goes through a town called Samaria. And at the well in Samaria, he has a conversation with a woman. And this is the first time that we read about in in the Gospel of John that Jesus actually reveals himself to her as the Messiah. She is the first person he tells he is the Son of God. And he tells her more about her life than anyone else knows. And in John chapter 4, 29, she goes back to the village And she says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She wasn't even so sure he was the Christ, but she invited other people to come and see, not to hear her own testimony, not to teach them herself, but to come see Christ. And that is the invitation to those who are in the first chair. We have this misconception in our world today sometimes that that is confused with this come and see mentality that if we build it, they will come. And so we build big churches and we build big buildings and we have big programs and we have big events and and we expect that if we build it, then people will just come. But there has to be that 
personal invitation for someone to come and see. For someone to come and see, come and see and come and experience Jesus himself. A couple weeks ago at a conference, I heard a, a pastor who was speaking, telling about how he came to know Jesus. He's been a pastor for a couple decades, but before he was a pastor, he was actually a Muslim. And he said it wasn't Christianity as a faith that drew him to Christ. It was the person of Jesus. I'm not going to bring anybody to salvation. I'm not going to be the one to answer all their questions or to save anyone. It's only the person of Jesus. And our responsibility as disciples of Christ is to invite people in the first chair to come and see Christ. To come and experience Christ. And what people in the first chair need is for us to do three things. First, people in the first, in the first chair need followers of Christ who are willing to enter their world. We can't just stand on the sidelines and say, hey, over there. Hey, hey, you people over there, part of the world that are in the first chair. Hey, hey, come and see. But they need people who are willing to come into their world and to spend time with them and to be with them. Isn't this what Jesus did? I mean, the very nature of Jesus coming into this world, he left heaven, he left the attention of the angels, he left the right hand of the throne of God, and he entered our world. He came into our world. And now we know that Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He knows the struggles of what it's like to be human. He knows what it feels like to feel lonely, to feel hurt to feel betrayed, to feel the things that we feel, to feel stress and pressure. He feels what we feel. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Sometimes I think we have this misconception that, that if I go to these other places, if I go and spend time with these ungodly people, worldly people, if I spend time in the world, then, then I might be around sin and I might just get dirty with sin. But Jesus came into this world and he went and he ate with sinners and tax collectors and he went into their world and did not sin. I don't know about you, but there have been several times that I've had to take my, my car to the mechanic Every shop I've ever been to has been quite a dirty place. But it doesn't mean I get dirty dropping it off and picking it up. I can even go in there and shake hands with the mechanic who's fixing my car. It doesn't mean I get dirty. We have to be strong enough in our faith, and I'm not encouraging us to sin by any means, but we have to be willing to go to the places and enter the world of people who are in this first chair. I think this looks like a couple different things. First of all, if my neighbor is interested in trains, I have no desire at all to know anything about trains. Not a bit. But if he's interested in trains, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask him to share with me everything he knows about trains. And I'm going to research it on my own. I'm going to have questions. I'm going to be intrigued. I'm going to enter his world and be interested in the things that he's interested in if it means I can build a relationship with him, an opportunity to tell him about the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And it's not done in a manipulative way. It's not done in an unsincere way. I need to sincerely be interested in what he's interested in in order to enter his world and build relationship with him. That's what it means to enter someone's world. The other thing it means is sometimes giving up our freedoms. We have such incredible freedom in Christ. And yet he's asked us to lay it down in order to reach those who don't know him. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And people will look at this and they'll say, wow, Paul, a little bit of a hypocrite, are we? Sometimes with some people you're under the law and at other times with other, other people you're not under the law. Now keep in mind, we're not talking about Roman political law or anything like that. We're talking about the law of Christ, the Old Testament law that Jesus completed on the cross. And he says that sometimes to some people, I, I willingly submit myself under the law and to other times I don't need to do that because of who I'm trying to reach. And some will look at that and say, sometimes that might seem a bit hypocritical. But the Old Testament law has no bearing under the new covenant of Christ. You want to know something else that has no bearing under the new covenant of Christ? Politics. And maybe in some groups of people, I need to be a Republican. And maybe in other groups of people, I need to be a Democrat. Maybe in other groups, I need to be a Libertarian. Because in the eternal kingdom of God, heaven forbid we get so fixated on something so temporary as politics. I'm be, I've been more convinced over the last couple years that if we can't see... If we can't see some truth and some positiveness to the other side of the story that we believe, then we just don't want to see it. We've become so polarized in this world that what I believe is right and the other side is just wrong and, and they make no sense and there's no foundation. Whatever the topic is, whatever the disagreement is, what we believe is right and what the other people believe is wrong. And it's become so black and white. And if we can't see some kernel of truth, some piece of, well, that's a good point, I need to think about that, and the other side of the argument, politics or whatever the other discussion is, then we're not looking hard enough to see it. And there's a group of people in the first chair that we're not able to enter their world if we're not able to see it. And when it comes to telling someone about the good news of Jesus Christ, eternal life in Jesus Christ, may there never be anything that we can't look at and say, let's have a conversation about it. I see where you're coming from. 
you make a good point to enter into the world of someone in the first chair. People in the first chair need followers of Jesus willing to enter their world. The other thing that people in the first chair need followers of Jesus to do is be prepared. We have to be prepared. The pastor I was telling you about at the conference during his time as a Muslim before he came to know Christ, he said, you know, Christians were easy to deceive. They didn't know what they believed. They didn't know why they believed it. And there's a lot of followers of Christ today who we just don't know what we believe and why. And we need to be prepared to explain and to teach and to, to have conversations and answer at least some questions with other people. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your heart regard Christ the Lord as holy. Be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. To give an answer for the hope that is in you. Why, why do you hope in Christ? Why do you have hope in the life-giving authority of God's Word, of the person of Jesus Christ? Why? Can you give an answer to that? In Acts chapter 8, Philip, one of the disciples of Jesus, was going along the road when he heard someone in, in, a, in the chariot reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he goes up and he asks, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And in Acts 8.31, he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip up to, to come up and sit with him. And it wasn't like he was reading something in another language. It was the same language. He just didn't understand what it was that he was reading. And in the same way, I can read a physics book. I'm capable of reading any book in English, but I'm not going to understand what it means. I'm not going to understand physics just because I've read a book on it. We have to be ready to answer questions and explain the gospel at least at a basic level. You can be a Christian for 50, 60 years and spend an entire lifetime studying the Word of God. You're not going to understand it completely. There will be so many things that we get to the end of our lives and, and have no idea until we see God and He explains it to us fully. But we have got to have a basic understanding and a basic basic knowledge of Scripture and how faith works and, and, and be able to answer some of the basic questions. We have to be prepared. We have to be prepared just to even speak up. And earlier in Acts, a couple of the disciples had been arrested and they've been beaten and they were finally about to be released and told not to preach a resurrected Jesus anymore. And in Acts 4.29, they find the rest of the disciples and they pray to God. And this line from their prayer has always stood out to me. I love it. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. It can be intimidating sometimes to just be in conversation and say, Hey, do you, you know Jesus? Are, are you a Christian? It can be intimidating sometimes to bring this up out of the blue, but let me ask you a question. Let me, let me actually recall a conversation that I'm sure you've had. Has anyone ever told you about how rough marriage is sometimes? How much that maybe they're in their, them and their spouse are in a disagreement and they're just having a rough patch right now? How hard it might be? What an amazing opportunity to say, hey, you know what? My wife and I, we actually, 
we go to church and scripture says that there's a mutual submission that could ha- that should happen between husband and wife and it's not always been easy but I'll tell you that that ability to, for mutual submission has helped wonders have you ever talked to somebody who's struggling and drowning in finances in debt struggling to to make payments one month to the next I know it's hard I know that the money seems to always be short, but we're trying to get out of debt because Scripture says that the borrower is slave to the lender. And Scripture actually has a lot to say about money, and it's, it's real-world application, and it really actually helps. Here's a crazy idea. I know this sounds strange. I know this sounds out there, but just hang with me for a moment. What if, what, what if this book actually got applied to our lives? I know that sounds crazy, right? What if we actually took this book seriously for just half a second and applied different areas of our life within what this book taught us about money, about marriage, about parenting, about life, about what's important, about, about conversation? What if we took this and applied it to life and then, and then we were ready with our own lives to have those conversations with people when they came up? We've got to be prepared, church. We have to be prepared by letting this book actually come into our hearts and into our lives and do a work in us before we can expect it to do a work in anyone else. We have to be prepared. The first thing that people in the first chair need from followers of Christ is to enter their world. They also need us to be prepared. And the third thing that people in the first chair need followers of Christ to do is be willing to be inconvenienced. There's never a convenient time for a marriage to fall apart, for a miscarriage to happen, for bankruptcy, for the death of a loved one. There is never a convenient time. They never check with your calendar first before stuff hits the fan. And we need to be willing to be inconvenienced. We need to be willing if it's 3 in the morning when there's a knock on our door or 11 p.m. as we're trying to go to sleep to have a phone call. We need to be willing to be inconvenienced. Jesus certainly was. We read of a time in Mark where Jesus gets word that his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded. And he's with a crowd of people and he wants to get off by himself to grieve for a little bit as anyone would. And so he goes to cross the lake. But in the meantime, word spreads rapidly where Jesus is going. So by the time he lands, there's a crowd there. And Mark chapter 6 verse 34 says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. And he put aside what he was going to do for a moment to heal, to teach, and to spend time with people. He allowed himself to be inconvenienced. And at the end of the day, he, he did. He got, went up to the mountain and he, he spent some time alone between him and God. And he, he did the grieving that he needed to do, but he, he allowed himself to be inconvenienced. And church, we need to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced also. 
Sometimes it is a middle of the night. Sometimes it is a very, very important, we have to do this thing right now. And I, I need to be inconvenienced in this moment because of something that just happened that is crazy. We, we just need to take some time. Other times it's a little harder to tell when we need to be inconvenienced. I read this past week of a story of of a guy who he was spending some time with. He was trying to slowly introduce him to Christ and spend time with him. And, and he called him up. This guy called him up one day and he said, hey, I got to go pick something up two hours away. Would, would you like to ride with me? We're talking about a four, four and a half hour chunk of time in the middle of the day. And he was like, I, I have no time for this. But he decided to do it anyway. And the ride up was pretty uneventful, but on the way back, they started talking about faith. They started talking about God and Scripture. And, and by the time they got back, he said, I think I'm ready to accept Christ. I know my wife has been praying for me for quite some time, and so I'm going to go home and do it with her, and it'll mean a lot to her. And so the guy said, hey, just be careful driving home. But if he hadn't taken the four and a half hours out of his day to go on this trip, that might not have happened. Sometimes it's obvious when we need to be inconvenient. Someone loses a loved one, there's something drastic that happens in life, and we, we know we need to be inconvenienced. But then there's other times where maybe we just feel the Spirit moving in our soul. Maybe I should give this person a call. Maybe I should stop by their house. Maybe, maybe I should take four and a half hours out of my day for something that God has planned that I can't see. People in the first chair need us to be inconvenienced. Now we have to be careful with these things though, church. We need to be careful because have you ever been around someone that you can tell they're just being polite? They're just being kind. They're asking you questions about their, your life. They're, they're spending time with you, but it's more out of obligation. It's more out of guilt. It's more from a sense of they have to more than actually wanting to. We've all been there. It's not that hard to tell. So when we enter someone's world, when we spend time to prepare ourselves and, and answers and to study, when we take time to be inconvenienced, it all has to be done from a motivation of love out of truly loving the person in the first chair we have to really love them in order to enter their world to ask them questions about things that they're interested in we have to really love them to make sure that we're preparing ourselves to answer the right questions not to come across as you know just as a know-it-all but truly wanting to help them. We have to prepare ourselves. Uh, we have to do it from a motivation of love if we really want to be inconvenienced because if it's not from a place of love, it just comes across as annoyance rather than just being inconvenienced. It has to always come from this place of love. Church, you could do this perfectly for 10 years. And the person you spend time with, the person that you have invested so much time and energy in, could still never come to know Christ. But that's okay. And that's okay for this simple reason. 
If you spend 10 years of your life pouring into someone, loving someone who God created in his image and is deeply loved by God, well done, good and faithful servant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there is an argument about whose name should we be baptized in, about who gets the credit for bringing them to Christ. In chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It may never be what we do. It may never be what someone else does. And they may never come to really accept Christ, but that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility as followers of Christ is to enter the world of someone in the first chair, is to be prepared, is to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced and all from a basis of love. So church, I have two questions for you this morning. Question one is, are you in the first chair? And if the answer is yes, then I just simply invite you to come and see Jesus. The one who is the giver of life, the giver of hope, who, who sees you and knows you and loves you deeper than, than you can ever imagine. If you're not in the first chair, then I have another question for you. Who in your life is in the first chair that you're spending time with, that you're pouring into? Studies show that the vast majority of Christians have no non-Christian friends three years after giving their lives to Christ. Three years. And we're not talking about, hey, I know someone who I work with who doesn't know Christ, or hey, there's this acquaintance. No, 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 friends. People who you're in their world. People who you have over for dinner. People who have you over for dinner. People who, who you're in their world with. So the question I have for you is, who is in the first chair? Who are you praying for on a regular basis? Who are you investing in their world with them? Who are you preparing your heart to, to tell them about Christ? Who are you being inconvenienced by, all from a position of love, because you want them to know Jesus? And if there is nobody, then we need to pray that God changes our hearts and brings that person into our lives. Because this is our calling as disciples, is to make disciples who make disciples. Father God, I am so grateful for the way you entered this world, for the way that you prepared and Oh, goodness, God, we look through the, the Old Testament and we see all the pieces that you've moved together and you spent generations preparing for your son to come into this world. God, I thank you for being inconvenienced, for you taking time out to meet people where they're at, for going to the homes of people who needed to know you. God, I pray that that as we as disciples of Christ, disciples of you, God, I pray that there's someone in our life that we can be pouring into. I pray that there's somebody that you can impress upon our hearts that we need to invest more time into, that we need to enter their world, that we need to love at a deeper level than where, where we've been loving.
God, I pray more than anything that you give us the boldness, the boldness to step out on faith and have conversations, to love people well, to enter their world, to be in convenience. God, give us, give us a name and give us boldness to do what you've asked us to do. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.